And I invite you now, as you get back to your seat, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament for some of you that haven't been there for a while. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's one of the books of the Torah, book that Moses wrote. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to pick it up here at verse 11, and we will read through verse 20. This is a very powerful passage, and Moses, again, is preparing the people to enter the land of promise. They were not permitted to enter that land of promise because of their disobedience, and now they're getting to that point where they're ready to take possession of the land, and so Moses writes this to them, uh, as they are anticipating that entrance. Let's stand together, shall we please, in honor of the word of God, and you follow along as I read. Beginning at verse 11, Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, or beyond your reach. It's not I'm in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it, and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may obey that. Underscore those words in your thinking. He says, what I'm commanding you is not too hard for you. It's already in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter to possess this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death blessings and curses now choose life, underscore, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Never forget this. The Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Powerful words. Choose life. For the Lord is your life. Father in heaven, help us as a nation to return to the biblical foundation that all life is sacred. All life is a gift from God. 
Speak to our hearts and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Doctors can make mistakes. Some time ago, Dr. Wes Johnson, who was my predecessor as superintendent of the Great Lakes District, he penned a letter to pastors in that district relating to them the story of his daughter. His daughter who had discovered that she is pregnant and that there were major problems with the pregnancy. And because of the severity of the problems, this young lady was advised to have an abortion. Her unborn or her preborn little baby had a very slim chance of survival, a very slim chance of being normal. Indeed, all of the tests that were taken pointed to a very difficult situation, but the Johnsons did not despair. They prayed every day that somehow God would intervene and preserve the life of that little baby inside their daughter. And the day of delivery came, and Matthew Henry was born by cesarean section and rushed to the intensive care unit of Children's Hospital in Minneapolis. Immediately, the baby was prepared for surgery to be done within 24 hours, but first tests needed to be made, and each test came back negative. Within 40, 24 hours, and except for a small cyst, there were no problems. The Johnson's daughter and her baby came home from the hospital on the third day. This was the first time a baby had been dismissed from intensive care unit to go home. One doctor commented to the family, we must have made a mistake. Another looked at the information and said, it is a miracle. Another family living in the Philippines, serving as missionaries, were seeing the blessing of God in their lives. Many people were coming to faith in Christ. They were rejoicing. And then this young mother became pregnant with her fifth child. It, too, was a high-risk pregnancy. And the doctor recommended an abortion. What would this young mother do? How would she respond? She and her husband already had four beautiful children. And even her life would be in jeopardy. Friends, life is a precious gift from God. The Bible says that there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. Because God is the creator of life, he is the one who opens the womb and who closes the womb. Only God is in a position only God is in a position of calling to himself an unborn or a preborn human life. We see this in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39. 
There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. The psalmist asked the question, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And in a world where preborn and unborn life is no longer considered sacred, when preborn or unborn human fetuses are destroyed without any pangs of conscience, we as the people of God need a new resolve to stand up for the preborn. They cannot speak for themselves. They cannot stand up for themselves, but we as the people of God can. We can both speak and stand up for them. I think of the prophet Micah. His lament when he viewed the condition of God's chosen people, Israel. In Micah chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, we read, The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. But then as he reflects and redirects his focus to God, his perspective clears. And in verse 7, he resolves, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. That word watch literally means to wait expectantly for, to be a watchman that is keenly observing everything that's happening, but especially is observing those God moments. A night watchman observes every shadow, responds to every sound, so the godly always look for evidences of God's workings. And though we live in a culture that views life as dispensable, God has been at work. This last year, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Now it all goes to the states where it should be. But that is a huge victory for life. A huge victory for life. Micah refused to give in to the godlessness of his generation and he put his confidence and his hope in the living God and my friends in 2023 our hope as the people of God must not be in ourselves it must not be in our government though well intended our hope our confidence must always be in the living God Throughout the history of the church, God has had his shining advocates for the preborn. In the second century, it was Barnabas who said, quote, Thou shalt not destroy thy conceptions before they are brought forth, nor kill them after they are born. During the Reformation, it was John Calvin who explained, quote, The fetus carried in the mother's womb is already a man. And it is quite unnatural that a life be destroyed of one who has not yet seen its enjoyment, unquote. In the 20th century, it was the Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
who spoke out against Nazi persecution of the Jews while his fellow clergymen kept silent. His rallying cry was Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And for Bonhoeffer, the voiceless were not only the Jews, but also the unborn. In his book, Ethics, Bonhoeffer writes, quote, Destruction of the embryo in the mother's womb is a violation of the right to live, which God has bestowed upon this life. Bonhoeffer's defense of the Jews and the preborn was costly. He was hanged by the Nazis just before Hitler's fall. And to this day, Bonhoeffer is a shining example of a man of God who stood up for the voiceless, for those who could not speak on their own behalf. As we come here to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing the people of God to enter the land of promise. You'll remember that for 40 years they've wandered around in the wilderness because they refused to believe God. And as Moses brings his final book to a close, he's concerned that the people renew their covenant to keep God's commands and walk in his ways. And he begins in chapter 28 where he outlines the blessings that will come through obedience and the cursings that would come because of disobedience. Chapter 29, he recounts the miracles that God did for his people in delivering them from Egyptian bondage. How God went before them, provided food for them, provided water for them, looked after them even though they had disregarded his commands. And he concludes chapter 29 by pleading with the people of God to renew their covenant. And then you come to chapter 30. And he presents the great options before the people. He presents life or death, prosperity or destruction, blessings or cursings. Everything is dependent on the choices people make. And I want to underscore in our thinking this morning that choices matter. When we make the wrong choices, sometimes things don't go the way we had hoped. God wants us as his people to make choices that are always aligned with his purposes and with his will. And as we come to this particular passage, we see that everything is contingent on the choices that people will make. First of all, you'll note in this passage that God calls his people to life. Look at verse 6 of chapter 30. He says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. 
God's great purpose for his people is that they live. In fact, over and over again, this is the word of God to the people of God. For example, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. Deuteronomy 8.1 Be careful to follow every command that I am giving you today so that you may live and increase. Over and over, he encourages them to obey the Lord so they would increase and experience the fruit of that new land. Deuteronomy 16.20 Follow justice and justice alone that you may live. There it is again. And possess the land your God is giving you. You see, it's God's will that his people experience a rich and a full and a productive life. But such a life of promise is contingent on the people of God loving God, walking in his ways, and keeping his commands. You see this in verse 16 of chapter 30. Notice, For I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. They're going into unknown territory. They're going into a land that is foreign to them. And God says, if you will choose life, if you will choose me, I will bless you, I will multiply you, I will be with you. I will go before you. My friends, if we as a nation are to experience the blessings of God and enjoy life the way God intended, we too must learn to live according to his word. You see, God has not left the question of the value of human life up for grabs. He makes it very clear that he values the life of the unborn or the preborn. He values human life. And we cannot expect the blessing of God upon our lives unless we learn to value that which God values. And for a moment, I want us to just take a look and consider what those in the pro-choice movement are saying in support of abortion as over against what God says in his book about the sanctity of life. Number one. The pro-choice movement says that abortion on demand should be normative because every woman has the right to control her own body. God's word, on the other hand, tells us that conception is a gift from God. Eve, upon giving birth to Cain, testified, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, Genesis 4.2. In Genesis 30, God supernaturally opened and closed the wombs of Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel. And when Rachel was barren, she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I die. And Jacob responds, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Later on, you'll remember that God remembered Rachel. He listened to her voice and he opened her womb. Of Ruth, the scripture declares, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. 
Though a woman does have the right to decide whether or not she will bear a child, we must never forget that the God of creation and redemption is the guardian of the womb. Conception is a gift from him that must never be scorned. Number two. Pro-choice movement says that abortion is simply the termination of a pregnancy. God's word, however, reminds us that God is the creator of pre-born human life. You see, those in the pro-choice movement may refer to the unborn fetus as a blob of tissue, uterine content, vegetating matter, a product of conception. That's not how God views that little child in the womb. He views the fetus as an object of creative love. Listen to the suffering Job. Job chapter 10, verses 8 to 12. Your hands shaped me and made me. You molded me like clay. Did you not clothe me with skin and flesh? And knit, me, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You gave me life and showed me kindness. And in your providence you watched over my spirit. Again in Job 31.15, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Job is aware that God had created him in the inner recesses of his mother's body. Human life is a gift. It's created by God. It's not to be tampered with. Isaiah also affirmed that God's actively involved in forming of the fetus. Isaiah 44 and verse 2, this is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. And again in verse 24, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who's made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. The God who speaks the heavens and the earth into being is the one who breathes life into that little baby who's being formed in the womb. From the moment of conception, the fetus is preborn human life. Zechariah concurs in chapter 12 and verse 1 Who forms the spirit of man within him? Every human life has been created supernaturally in the image of God. Every human life has value and must not be easily discarded. We must not discard that which God creates. Number three, the pro-choice movement says that the fetus is not a person until it is born. Therefore, its termination cannot possibly be classified as a killing. God's word, however, testifies that unborn human life is to be treated as a person in the womb. David in Psalm 51 and verse 5 puts it this way, Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And again in 58.3, even from birth the wicked go astray from the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. 
Keep your finger here in Deuteronomy 30 and turn with me for just a moment over to Luke chapter 42, chapter 1, verses 42 through 45. In that particular passage, Elizabeth, who is also with child, is visited by Mary, who also is with child. And you will note in verse 41 that Elizabeth refers to her unborn child as a baby in verse 41 and again as a baby in verse 44. At the time she's six months into her pregnancy. Elizabeth is aware that she is not carrying an it or a blob of tissue or a lump of jelly or a growth in her body that can be removed as easily as tonsils and an appendix. She is carrying not a potential human being, but a human being with incredible potential. Indeed, she is carrying in her body the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. John the Baptist would prepare the way for the Messiah. Moreover, Elizabeth refers to the miracle inside Mary as a child, This is just days after Mary has become supernaturally impregnated by the Spirit of God to bear the Savior of the world. In fact, the Greek words baby, child, and infant are all used interchangeably in the New Testament. There's no difference in the scriptures between the born and the unborn. Indeed, each of the terms speak of the fact that unborn human life is in reality a real person. A real person to be treated with dignity, never to be carelessly discarded. Number four, the pro-choice movement argues that abortion, that it would be unfair to bring another unwanted child into the world. God's word reminds us, however, that God's purpose for each human life is operative before birth. See, God loves the little children long before they take their first breath of air. His purpose for their lives is established well in advance. In Isaiah 49 and verse 1, Isaiah says, Before I was born, the Lord called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. God gave Christ his mission in life long before his birth. He was conceived for the purpose of going to the cross and dying. He was born to die so that we could have a relationship with the living God. You see, God doesn't improvise. He has plans for our lives even before we take our first breath. God reminded Jeremiah the weeping prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God's purpose for Jeremiah was established long before he was born. This is also true of the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul puts it this way. When 
He who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. God's purpose was made known while Paul is yet in his mother's womb. God values us as embryos and plans our lives from beginning to end way before we are born. Number five, the incarnation of Jesus is an awesome testimony to the sacredness of human life. Luke 1, 31 and 32 says that the angel comes to Mary and announces you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign in the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, God didn't wait until Jesus moved within Mary's body or when he was out of the womb before declaring what his purpose would be. His purpose was declared while yet in Mary's womb. The incarnation is a strong testimony to the sacredness and the sanctity of human life. Now, if conception is a gift from God, and it is, and if God creates and fashions unborn human life in the womb, and he does, and if unborn human life is to be treated as a person in, in the womb, and it is, and if God's purpose for every human being is operative before birth, and it is, and if the incarnation is a further testimony to the sacredness of human life, we must not go along with our culture which today says life is disposable. And we are seeing this now that it's even extending to the elderly. In fact, in Europe today, euthanasia is a law. We are living in a society, in a world where the preborn and the elderly no longer have any worth. That's not what the Word of God says. And as God's people, we need to stand up for the elderly as well as the preborn. Number two, God challenges his people to obey. You see this in verse 14 of chapter 30. Notice, <clears throat> no, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Moses reminds the people that God's will is not too difficult. Sometimes we make a big deal out of God's will and we think it is too hard for us to understand. But that's not what the scripture says. Moses reminds the people that God's will is not up in heaven so that they can't, can't attain to it. It is not below the sea that they cannot reach to it. No, notice he says God's word is in your mouth. It is near you. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. And as we study this particular passage, he lays out two tracks. He first of all says, obeying God's word brings blessing. Turn back to chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. 
If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. Look again at verses 13 and following. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you today and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So he makes a very strong case for obeying God. But on the other hand, he also reminds the people of the consequences of disobeying God. And you see this in verse 15 of chapter 28. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, I'm giving you today all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Look again at verses 45 and following, same chapter. All these curses will come upon you, they will pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sin and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. He lays out two plans. A plan for obedience and blessing and another plan of disobedience and cursing. But he makes it very clear in verse 30 here in chapter 30 and verse 31, that what he's commanding them today is not too difficult for you. I've given you a mind and a heart. You can either choose to obey me or you can choose to disregard me. And he is simply saying, you need to make a choice. Choose, make a good decision. Choose to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice, to walk in his ways. Now, for a moment, let's apply this principle to the abortion debate. When we disregard God and there is no transcendent purpose or meaning to life, then there is no absolute truth upon which to base our decisions. And when this occurs, we end up passing laws like the 1985 IRS ruling, which, quote, declare that if a child is intentionally aborted but somehow manages to survive for two or more days before dying, he can be declared a dependent by the parents who attempted to kill him, unquote. James Dobson, Gary Bauer, in their excellent book, Children at Risk, are right on when they respond, quote, that is pure secular humanism in action. Follow the logic. The unborn child is aborted at his parents' request 
but they are not charged with assault because he isn't deemed to be a human in the eyes of the law. But if he lives at least two days, he becomes dependent for tax purposes because he is a child. But then if he dies a few hours later, his killers will not be charged with murder because he isn't a child. This is where the convoluting thinking of man leads. How, how incredible is this? We can dispose of life in the womb, and yet there are mothers whose little babies have issues in the womb, and they will perform open-heart surgery on that baby in the womb to preserve life. Now, if that baby is just a blob of tissue, that baby is just a bunch of vegetating matter, just a blob, why, why would they seek to preserve the life in the womb? Our friends, we are living in a day where we have lost our perspective of how God views human life. And we need to come to grips with this as the people of God and ask God to forgive us. All too often we go along with a culture that does not value life. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to ask God to cleanse us. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. You can experience healing after an abortion. God can forgive. God can renew. There are many of these young moms who have given up their children for adoption, and that's wonderful. But we, as an American people, need to get back to valuing human life. Number three, and I'm closing. God commands his people to choose. Look at verse 19. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, underscore it, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Now what does it mean to choose life? Three things. If we choose life, we will love the Lord our God, verse 20. We will love him. The Bible says, God is love. He loved us before we had the capacity to reach out to him. God's calling us as his people to fall more deeply in love with him. The greater our love is for God, the greater will be our love for all human life. Number two, we will listen to God's voice. We will shut out all the noise of those who number one, have no desire for God and are hell-bent on changing our country. 
Our country is and has been founded upon Christian principles. Our religious freedoms are being eroded as I speak. We need to get back to listening to God's voice. Not the voice of the legislators and the lobbyists and all these people who are well-meaning, but they've never listened to God. Number one, they don't even acknowledge there is a God. And they would have us become a godless society. Number three, we will hold fast to God. Verse 20. It's very interesting that that same word, hold fast, is the very same Hebrew word that is used of a husband and a wife. They are to cleave together. They are to hold, they are to stick together. That's what the word cleave means. That's what this word hold on means. It means to be stuck to God. I love that. <laughs> Don't you? That's what God wants us to He wants us to be stuck to Him and to His Word. Now, what do you think this young missionary mom did when informed that the results of all the tests on her pregnancy proved to be that the baby would not be born without issues? Well, the family prayed. The family believed God that somehow against all odds this young mother chose to keep her baby. The day of delivery came and God gave this devoted missionary family a healthy baby boy. Put the picture up. A healthy little boy. This young man continued to grow. And he developed a love for football. Keep the pictures coming. He became an all-state football player in Florida. He won the Heisman Trophy. He was the first-round draft pick of the Denver Broncos. He led them to a playoff victory. Tim Tebow would not have been born had his mom listened to the doctors. How many other Tim Tebow's have been lost simply because we don't value human life. By God's grace, let us surrender to King Jesus and let us value forever that which God values. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We recognize that as a nation we have fallen far short. We take matters into our own hands. We disregard the scriptures. We 
tell ourselves that the Bible isn't true. We march to the drumbeat of those who do not value that which God values. Lord, please forgive us. And I pray that you would raise up a whole new generation of men and women who will value that which you value. That you would help us as a community of the faithful to do everything that we can to encourage young moms to keep their babies. To keep their babies if they're unable to keep them to put them up for adoption. So many so many young couples that can't have babies that would love to adopt. Lord, adoption is such a better alternative. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that has experienced an abortion that they can find freedom as they just confess that to you. You don't hold it against us. And there are many who have had abortions that have found total freedom as they have turned their lives over to Jesus. So Lord, if there's anyone here like that that needs to do that, I pray that right now they would just turn their life over to you and experience the joy and freedom of your forgiveness. You love us so well. Lord, again, we commit all that we have said in this service to you. We have sought to be true to your word. Help us, Lord, as your people to always choose life and experience the blessing and the power of obeying the living God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and that sweet, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Have a great day in Jesus.